I'm Josh Barrow. And I'm Lynette Lopez. And this is Hard Pass. We're here with Josh Brown. He's the CEO of Ritholtz Wealth Management and one of my favorite people on Wall Street. So is, is indexing a problem? There's this interesting paper claiming that indexing has caused airfares to go up because airlines don't compete against each other like they used to because everybody owns the index fund and so they own shares United and Delta and American all at the same time. I, I read that also. Indexing is about 35% of all the investable assets that are in funds. So they're a third of the market right now. They were less than 10% almost forever. And then there was this explosion post-great financial crisis because people that had active mutual funds looked at the results and they said, well, I would have lost the same amount if I just owned the index. So why am I paying 1.5% for somebody to maybe slightly edge out the market for a few years and then the market blows up and I lose the same amount? It's crazy. So that kind of spurred this whole thing into into being, which is that people saying all things being equal, I would rather an algorithm decide the portfolio than a person, um, or I'd rather have the most plain vanilla lowest cost exposure. So what are the distortions as a result of that? I think it's too early for us to know, but I do believe that they, they exist. Without a doubt, there will be distortions, and maybe the airline example is one of them. Um, but it's almost like food. When you, when you disconnect people from the food they're eating by nine steps, um, it changes the way they think about it and it changes the way they act. When you disconnect people from their investments, which is what we've done, and you convince them it's irrelevant to pay attention to them, which is what we've done, there is definitely room for uh, there to be these anomalies that, that get really distorted. Are, are you conflicted here? You are sort of in the active management business. No, I'm not in the active management business. I don't believe in active management, actually. It's too expensive. It doesn't earn its keep. I recommend mostly um, index fund solutions to people when I build portfolios. Um, not necessarily only S&P 500. I think there's room to be a little bit uh, smarter than that. Um, there are ways to index that over long periods of time can provide excess returns or less volatility or a higher current yield. But overall... Uh, I used to think my job was to find the best stocks or find the best managers. It didn't take long to realize, oh, this doesn't work because whatever was best last year won't be best next year. Um, so I'm not conflicted. Where I am conflicted is because I'm a proponent of spending less money on management um, and a more index approach, if there are distortions being created, then I'm a part of that without a doubt. But I don't know if we know what they are yet or whether or not they'll materialize. I want to go back to this idea that people are disconnected from the stocks that they actually buy or actually hold. Buy is like a weird term now when we're talking about indexing. So when management decides to make these decisions that are not a long-term value for shareholders, it's not like all the shareholders are voting on it or paying attention. They have no freaking clue. They don't care. It doesn't matter. They own thousands of stocks. And they they don't don't know that the the stock price of an individual security might be up because of buybacks, not because of the actual performance of that company. They don't know that... Actually, corporate earnings have been incredibly anemic over the last couple years, and we're not doing that great. We're doing better because these they're buying back stock because they want to make their share prices look bigger. So a lot of these CEOs can keep their jobs and not piss off the hedge fund managers that are going to come for them, like the Carl Icons of the world. So isn't this a reason to cheer the shift toward toward private capital, toward venture capital and, and private equity, that if the if the shareholder accountability system is broken, don't we want especially big new capital intensive ideas I love to that be funded question. privately? I love that question. 
you would think that on the surface, and maybe in some case that's true, where the people in, in on Sand Hill Road are thinking in, in decades. They're like true long-term investors. By virtue of the things they're funding, they have to be, right? Like there's no payoff tomorrow. There's not an exit just because they want it into the, the, the public markets. So by definition, you have some really successful people now thinking very, very long-term. That is a positive development, and I think – People like Mark Andreessen that think that way, um, absolutely we should look at that as a model. The problem with that for for most investors is that they don't have access to those funds. They can't get into them. Yeah, regular people don't have access here's to one regular Right, are. so here's when regular people get access to those companies. When most of the gains have already accrued to a small amount of private investors, they say, all right, I guess we'll go public now. Like it used to be, yeah, let's go public. Now it's like, all right, where's the exit? Let's go public. That's not always the case. Like, like Facebook is an example that defied that paradigm. It went public, it flopped, and then the the private, the public market made a lot of money, right, from being. But most of the the companies in twenty thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, the venture back stuff, it kind of came public. It was hot for ten minutes. And then it's been a huge disappointment. Whether we're talking about Twitter, uh, Zynga is an example, uh, Groupon. Like these were companies where a lot of money was made in the private market and then public investors have nothing but losses. Was that because something went south with them or because their valuations were too high? When Their valuations were too high by the time it came to get public. Um, their valuations relative to what their actual business was was too high. But – that's the point at which public investors got their hands on the shares. All of the gain in that valuation, so a company that's worth $10 million becomes worth $11 billion privately and then goes public and drops to a $4 billion valuation. You know who the winners were. You know who the losers were. But it's part of why we haven't seen a lot of IPOs like that in the last couple of years that investors learned a lesson and they're, you know, they're not going to get fooled. Like no, it's the opposite. Again. Management of the companies learned the lesson, which is don't go public. It's a really bad lesson, but unfortunately it's true. Uh, they've been treated very harshly by Wall Street and they don't need to do it. You can now raise money. So the, the Jobs Act just, uh, the Jobs Act just uh, came into effect a couple of years ago. This is a law that makes it easier to raise money for private companies from people who are not as extremely wealthy as right. the sort of people who own venture capital firms in Silicon Valley. Right. Facebook almost had to go public. They got to the point where they had over 500 shareholders. And once you reach that threshold, the law says or said – you now have to report your financials like a public company, et cetera. You have to, so basically, you have to come public. That's all changed now. Companies don't necessarily have to come out to the public markets, so they don't. And, and they, they are almost being protected from the harsh glare of short-termism and, and Wall Street greed, et cetera, et cetera. So there are some positives and negatives to both sides. Hard Pass is produced by Ben Riskin. Our cover art is by John Fulton, and the music you are hearing is by Aaron Leader. 